Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, a podcast about IMDb's top 250 ranked movies. I am your host today, the ultimate MacGuffin, Tyler Hannon, and with me, modern femme fatale, Kayla St. Ange. Hi. How's it going, Kayla? It's fantastic. All right. And on Let the Right Films In, like we talk about the top 250 movies. We talk one movie per week. We watch it. We tackle it. At the end, we bring in some trivia about the movie and some fun fun facts, sometimes not so fun, sometimes kind of depressing facts about the IMDb 250 and the movies contained therein. But first, let's just talk, how's life? How's it going? That's really good. Let's break I, it down. Uh, let's, we said we're going to go personal this week, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I made a huge life change this week. I, uh, I, bought, I bought a maxi skirt. Yeah. I am now the wine mom. <laughs> you already were the wine mom, but now you have the uniform. Now I dress like the wine mom, yes. yes. A, no, I just thought about it one day, and then I went and bought one, and I've been enjoying it immensely so far. So people of any gender, just go buy a maxi skirt. It's very comfy. This is true. I actually have a couple of friends who advocate just like, skirts are great. We should wear more skirts in our lives. And just, yeah, they're very comfy and swishy and you just kind of like, it's I also, like swishy. it's also like so easy because like the other day I went to work and people were like, oh my God, you look so nice today. I'm like, really? Because I feel like this is the laziest outfit people I have ever put together. People ask you for directions and stuff? Oh yeah. So I also have a theory that like I am more approachable when I look more like a sort of put together hippie than like a grungy punk lesbian like I normally do. I was asked for directions twice and a U-scan boy at Kroger tried to bag my groceries for me and then put them into my cart. And then ask <laughs> what time to get off of work. <laughs> no, that was the Ben and Jerry's pimply teenager and that was oh. when I was not wearing the maxi skirt. <laughs> That's less than adorable. But <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I bought socks and not exciting socks, just plain old ankle socks that have a couple stripes on them but Boo. I know I know I really pride myself on my sock collection um I need to get some more Halloween socks as the season is approaching it's almost I here no I drove past the Halloween city that is near us that is a Halloween store with you know costumes and it's, junk. yeah as implied in the name yes Halloween city I, <laughs> I need to explain it apparently but there was a big so they've had Halloween City up for a while, but now there's a big sign that says coming soon, and I was like, oh, it is coming soon. Oh my god, also... And it will take over the podcast. Okay, I just, yeah, just as a heads up, during the month of October, we will be doing, like, like a Halloween... A theme month. It's going to yeah, be all so horror. It's, it's going to be amazing. Uh, Tyler and I are both incredibly passionate about Halloween, and this is the first year, mm-hmm. I think, where we're both going to actually have time to do things. Allegedly. And money to do things. So, like... Be prepared, because there's a good chance we just show up and drunk record one day. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. very possible. <laughs> it's very so possible. <laughs> we'll have to get to our recording studio, unless we build our own recording studio. Oh no, that might be a little too ambitious. <laughs> I am going to build with my hands. <laughs> oh, God. I take it back. I'll hire someone when I have the money. But, um, so Kayla, what, have you watched anything this week? Um... Not a whole lot. Uh, as you know, as our faithful listeners know, we work at a video store, so mm-hmm. I watched the kids' movie Home, starring Rihanna. Who it's is like the only thing we've watched. Pretty much. All week. Yeah. So I watched Home, and I have to say, it's pretty cute. I appreciate the diverse lead. Um, she has a pet cat called Pig, and that is delightful. However, Jim Parsons, or whatever his name is, who voices the alien, is, like, really fucking annoying. And I hate the Big Bang Theory. See, here, I was going to say no shots, but his voice didn't work for me. But, (laughs) all right. I mean, I just got to tell it like it is. I I like the character. I just, his voice just doesn't work for me. No offense to Jim Parsons, who is a vital, talented man who can do other things, too, but. Yeah, the Big Bang Theory sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie is, I would say, a solid like five point seven in my book. Like, it's definitely a decent enough kids movie, and like, it's such a specific book you have. Yes, and it isn't. Well, it's not like a six, but it's not a five. You know. You, but you could go five point five. No, it's slightly no, better it's than slightly that. better than five point five. It is. It really is. My only okay. So my other qualm with this movie is that so Rihanna voices the main character, mm. but also provides like ninety percent of the soundtrack. <laughs> so it's like really like it's really like almost too meta for me when Rihanna is telling the alien 
that she wants to show him a song and then she turns on the radio and it's a Rihanna song. Like, it's just too, it's like too much. Like, I'm just like, no, I don't believe this. <laughs> I'm sure it was not too much of a paycheck for Rihanna, though. No, I mean. I'm sure, that was pretty nice. She was actually so check. sweet. When this, I remember when the, because everybody on Tumblr was really excited when this movie was announced because, like, you know, African-American lead, mm-hmm. like, interesting, diverse cast, like, that kind of thing. And it's not an African-American lead who has then turned into an animal for the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, it's amazing. But, yeah, so um, Rihanna was actually so, like, excited to be a part of this movie. And I remember, like, she would post pictures. Like, at one point she posted a picture on her Instagram of her, like, with a stuffed alien of the animal, like, drinking martinis together yeah. or something. And it was just, like, I just saw it and I was like, yes, this is <laughs> this is my hero. <laughs> That's awesome. I did not know about all that. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Home a bunch, too. It's, it's pretty adorable. It hits all the same kind of things like you have well, I suppose shouldn't get too spoiler about it but it it hits all the standard animated movie notes for the most part yeah the big thing I guess is that the aliens are cowards but he overcomes his cowardice to save his friend as always his friend <laughs> and you always think it's gonna be super it, it always hints that oh no the character's gonna die but it is always darkest. Oh, God. You know, dawn. okay, before I forget this, it's another... very Big Hero 6. <laughs> yeah. Except people actually die in Big Hero 6. Yeah, the stakes are a little bit higher. But yeah, another note about the soundtrack in Home uh, Jennifer Lopez voices the mom and also does like a song for the soundtrack. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, you know, in the, on the screener at work, how there's the here we go, here we go. Okay. Like that song. Okay, they use that for like every emotional part in the movie. So like by the time the movie is I, over, I don't I'm like when so they repeat sick songs. of that song. Yeah, if it's like a if it's like a score cue that makes sense. Yeah. But if it's like a specific part of a song, like uh, with lyrics, like yeah. I don't know. So like by the time I, I feel the movie's that, that over, that just seems like a poor sound, like music choice. I don't like repeating the songs. Yeah, no, and especially because it's not only in the movie so much, but on our commercial screener at work. Which basically shows previews, trailers for movies. All yeah, it's also on there. So like, I'm getting to the point where like I start hearing J Lo going, "Here we go, here we go." I'm like, no. Nothing will as be as bad as Pharrell and Nerd on the SpongeBob. Oh my thing. god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were okay. Over and over. And I don't know over if you again. remember last Christmas because like usually the Christmas screener is we're going awful. really in on right now. You said the name! You said the name on the podcast! We're going to get fired! <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not going to get fired. That's because um, I'm quitting, so... Oh, my God. My boss already knows. It's okay. <laughs> and you see, okay. So, in the in the first episode, when I said we weren't going to name the video store, I lied. Although, you probably could have deduced what video store, because there really aren't that many left. Anyway, yeah, like so every one. Christmas, there's always, like, one insufferable song on the screener. And two years ago, because I've worked Should I have not said it? What if we bleep it out after this, just for fun? <laughs> oh my god, please. Actually, please do that. We're going you... to bleep out every time we say throughout the entire podcast. In fact, make it a drinking game. Do a shot every time you hear us not say So every time there's a beep, just do a drink. Take a shot. It'd be fun. Join us in our burgeoning... Uh... Anyways, Christmas last year uh, at... Yes, <laughs> at, yes, at... We should stop at a point. Stop saying so many times because once we say so many times they're gonna be all over the place and so when it i might... randomly got it might sound things. like we're the swears out <laughs> so uh anyway um uh two summer two summers two christmases ago uh grandma got run over by a reindeer was on the screener twice there were two versions of that song and you may not remember, but uh, the screener is four hours long, and it repeats all day, every day, because our boss is a monster who makes us watch it all day, every day, if he's there. And When uh, it's not, we just watch home. Yeah, so. we just watch different movies. But anyway, so yeah, so every four hours, twice, I would hear, Grandma Got Run Over by a Ranger. Like, one was like a kid singing it, which is terrible. You know what? At least it wasn't... I saw Daddy or Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Actually, they should do an I saw Daddy kissing Santa Claus. Oh my God, the right wings people would like flip out. We should record that. <laughs> we're doing it. All right. We're not Plans. actually going to do it, but we're going to say we're going to do it. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, what have you watched recently? <laughs> Getting back on All track. Right. Well, in turn, um, so Red Hot, Wet Hot American Summer is a great sketch movie. It's so stupid but smart and 
just amazing, full of wonderful people. And as you've probably heard on every other entertainment website ever, uh, they did a sequel TV or prequel TV series. So now we have like mid thirties and forties people playing like sixteen year olds. It's amazing. So that is a it's, creative choice. Yeah, it is a creative choice. Um, they were too old in the first place, and now they're even too older. So. And it's basically, if you enjoyed the movie, you will enjoy the TV series because all most of them are disturbingly, they look disturbingly similar to what they did like 15 years ago, I think it was. Like, because they're from Hollywood and they don't age. Yeah, like Paul Rudd is literally like a Greek god. He just does not <laughs> age. He just looks the same. You just put like a whatever that like the laurel and like put him in a toga with a wine, to a goblet. <laughs> He's got like the black curls and everything. It's perfect, but it is pretty hilarious. They bring in a bunch of people, Lake Bell and um, Jason Schwartzman, who's especially after Scott watching Scott Pilgrim. He, he just does so many small weird him. parts. This He's is so what you got to see it. more of the Wes Anderson movies because he's in them. It. We gotta we'll get to it. It'll happen. Yeah, one day, one day. But it that it is pretty fantastic. The only person who looks older is Michael Showalter, who ages like a regular human being. So he's just like this chubby 40-year-old man wearing a bad wig. Or he might be a little now, I'm not sure. But he's it's pretty great because he's the <laughs> poor Michael Showalter being a regular human being like us. I don't even know who that is. I'm going to be completely he, honest he, with you. He, he runs the show. And oh, okay. he's like He's the ostensible lead in the, in the movie, but... Not much, okay. but um, he and David Wayne made create the series, and then David Wayne draws all the directing. David Wayne of The Heat and a bunch of other comedies that are hitting right now. I keep meaning to see that. You haven't seen The Heat? No, it's really good. Uh, I have also started watching Mr. Robot. So, my friend Gabe, when he finally comes on the podcast, will not be able to yell at me. So, I kind of broke it. I made his day by watching Hello, it. Hello, Gabe. <laughs> we know you're listening. Future future podcast guest and friend of the podcast, Gabe. I don't um, know Gabe, but I've decided that he's my friend already. Because everybody's our friend. We follow each other on Twitter. Ooh. That's as good as friendship. It's <laughs> close enough. But, yeah, Mr. Robot is it's a, it is a uh, USA show, but it's actually an interesting USA show. It's not I'm a so, burn notice really... USA show really want to watch that. It's really cool. So it stars Rami Malek, who has been in a lot of interesting movies recently that I didn't realize. He's the but he's Museum. also I was just going to say, you probably know him as King Tut in Night Sorry, Museum. Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> he, he's been in a lot of interesting things and he's also King Tut. Which, I actually looked it up, that apparently is like the one movie that actually casts people of that race mm-hmm. as to play that That's race. Okay, yeah. Because he's like, actually of Egyptian descent. Yeah, okay. People like to shit on the Night at the Museum series because they don't like Ben Stiller or whatever, but I love those movies. Those They're movies really are good. Fun. They're really fun. I haven't seen time. the third one, but... I watched it in the store. It's good. Okay, cool. I mean, it's not like, obviously, like, I'm not going to be like, the Night at the Museum series is so amazing. But when like, we're distracted it, doing work all day, it's nice in the background. Exactly. Oh, the faintest of praise. I legitimately <laughs> really like the first movie. I, yeah, I love um, those movies. I do. Yeah, he's, he's like, I didn't realize he'd been in a, a bunch of other recent really good things in recently. And in this, he gets to just sink into this ridiculous character. Um, he is a super hacker who is also super awkward and just terrible with people. And he ha- Like, as soon as he meets someone, he hacks them, finds out everything about them. He does meth to help stay level, but he's also suffers with a lot of Is that what meth does? <laughs> or not, it's not meth. It's, um, ah, it is a drug. It's a heavy drug. So he does a heavy drug, you know, just to... Don't do meth. Stay level. <laughs> or other drugs. Unless you can hand... No. Um, no, don't but, do drugs. No, don't do drugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so it's... And uh, so it's... The show is... You hear it from his voice. He talks specifically to the audience a few times in his head. He doesn't oh, look like at for, the... Okay. He doesn't look at the camera, but he uses you in his inner monologue a lot, referring to like... You are in with this me too, in this with me too, kind of. So it's like really all in his head, and it's it's really weird. They do a lot of cool things with the camera, both in terms of like what they're shooting and also how they shoot it, whether different types of like focusing on certain certain things and shifting the focus, but also when he goes on a rant about something, kind of not not Edgar Wright like hitting things in like uh, pat 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 manner. Mm-hmm. But like flashing to these different things, I 
did not prepare sufficiently to talk about like smash the cut camera style. It's not quite smash cutting, but just the way that they go to different things. He's so he talks about at one point. He's like, you know, I'm gonna be regular. I'm gonna drink Starbucks, Joseph with Starbucks. I'm gonna heart things on Instagram, phone hearting on Instagram, and then other things. Is that the thing that Darren Aronofsky? It's invented? almost like a mini montage kind of thing. Yeah, is that is that? I'm pretty sure Darren Aronofsky invented that. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, I, have, like, I haven't seen enough old Aronofsky yet. I want to say it's in Requiem for a Dream. There's a scene where like it cuts really quickly between. Him like brushing his teeth and going to the bathroom and then leaving yeah. the apartment or something. It, yeah, I want to say it's like he that. It's that. not quite smash cut the way Edgar Wright does it, but it's like I'll have to look. It's count. Yeah, we clearly did so much preparation for this, Listen, in which wait, I cannot at this time look up what it is, but you can. Are learn or the characters? Uh, our listeners are characters in our story We're because characters. everything is about us. <laughs> Send us money. No. But it's a it's a really good show. Then Christian Slater Slater, who's typically in movies that get canceled quickly, gets to come in and just be like this weird, insane person who barges into your business and just like, hey, she's hot. Hey, I was just trying to hook you up with her, and he's just ridiculous. Obviously, having the time of his life being an insane person. Christian Slater is one of those actors that I always forget is actually a good actor. Yeah. It's like Ethan Hawke. Because like, he's so many bad Ethan things. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan Hawke is really good. No, I'm not saying he's not. He's just we in talked a lot about of bad him last movies. week. Yeah. And so, that was a good movie last week, though. But yeah. He does a lot of interesting things, too, though, like Predestination. I haven't seen that yet. It's more of an experiment in time travel. Uh, hypotheses. Yeah, I know what it's about. And Robert, uh, our customer, one of our customers, told me all about it. Yeah, it's it's more of a showcase for the other the actress in it. Yeah, but um, it's all right. But that is, so I've only that's all I've really watched this week. I got the first season of the Nick. I'm hoping to get into a little bit of that. But mostly I've been listening to a number of soundtracks. Um, the Ex Machina soundtrack is incredible from the Ex Machina out this year. Uh, also, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which obviously was nominated for an Oscar, delightful. and it is delightful <laughs> and fantastic, and it deserved to be nominated. I don't think did it win actually. That's a good question that I yeah. don't know the answer to. Oh well, I'm sorry. We don't have anyone to. We don't have a person in the booth, so <laughs> find out for yourself. That's your assignment. Yeah. But um, we're just soundtrack. Other we've been talking about soundtracks a lot. The guest lately. soundtrack. I okay, I soundtrack. have literally the guest soundtrack is amazing. Have been nonstop listening to the guest soundtrack, and it's the, like the double hit of um, Antonio and, and the synth thing right after that. Yes. That is a really well put together soundtrack. It's so good, and also I've been listening to the It Follows soundtrack a lot at work because it's so terrifying. It keeps me. But also there are moments of beauty and like subtlety in it too. It's just that you have those really over the top, loud, just dissonant. Everything is you're losing your mind and you're about to die. There are so. And then it's just like, oh, this is pretty. She's in the pool. She's hanging out, and now she's about to die. Yay! What is that? The it's like so. Kill it. It's not only your impressions of actors that I love, <laughs> but also your musical impressions of lyricless music. You know, funny enough, I mean, I, I can't remember if I told you this like outside of podcasts, but I actually had a, another It Follows Nightmare the other night, which marks like my fifth one in the past, like since we saw it originally. It's in a theaters. great movie. Like, I feel like that says something though, that it's still giving me nightmares. Like, I haven't even watched it recently, but yeah, it was... Um, Speaking of the screener, it is on the screener, so that music oh, is perpetually in her mind. That is probably a part mm-hmm. of it, now that I'm thinking about it. Before we get too far, I also want to say, while we're talking about soundtracks, oh, yeah. shouts to the Ex Machina soundtrack as well, because the Ex Machina soundtrack is really well done. Um, it is, I had his name, but once again, we really <laughs> Excuse need to... Excuse me, Boothman. Uh, we have all these notes on the actual movie we're talking about, but not the recent watch stuff. We should, uh, we should keep going. But he works, with, uh, he, he works with Cliff Martinez... Like, he worked on the Drive soundtrack and okay. and the Contagion soundtrack. And so it's kind of in that vein, which it sounded very familiar. I'm like, I know this isn't Cliff Martinez, but it sounds kind of like something Cliff Martinez would do. He works with Cliff Martinez. I do want to, you know, you know, that is which one of the biggest... Which made me feel proud of myself. <laughs> that is one of the biggest issues I have with Apple Music currently is that the Drive soundtrack is apparently not on there. I don't know what's up with that. Cause the I, Drive soundtrack also just... Oh. Yeah, exactly. I was like really wanting to listen to it the other day, and I couldn't because I canceled my Spotify membership. Yeah, if you owned shit. it, like I'd, I actually have the CD of the Drive soundtrack, nice. and like I'll play it in my. Yeah, can I borrow that so I can rip it to my computer? <laughs> okay, two thousand eight. Okay, or whatever 
actually probably earlier than that. We're, I was a late adopter to MP3s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and also one last shout to a non uh, non film related thing at all. The Throwing Adventure Hour podcast. Oh my god! I recently I haven't listened in years. I've gotten back into it. I got Kayla into it. It is the most delightful thing in the world. I'm from Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Sparks Nevada so much. But he writes the outlaw, the outlaw wrongs on Mars. It's a good thing I didn't try to sing that. Right, I the outlaw wrongs on Mars. On Mars. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and. Onus. <laughs> Recording this. this podcast is my onus. <laughs> and every podcast we do, every episode, I am one step closer to fulfilling my onus. You are relieving yourself of onus. I am relieving. You aren't getting any of this if you don't understand, if you've never listened to this podcast. So what I would encourage you to do, it's all on... It's, it's a good thing. This is the only thing that they won't get because everything else we talk about is very... Including our local references mm-hmm. and... Yes, but yeah, so... um, Our talk about the video store that should not be named. I don't want <laughs> it to fam- go this deep in. I don't want it to go this deep <laughs> in to bleed it out again. We're just going to get it all out of the way earlier with one long bleep, just taking out the whole segment, but, you know. Oh, man, I was so tempted, but I love you, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so um, it's all on Stitcher, but it's kind of hard to, like, scroll through it because you have to do it on your phone. I tried to use the Stitcher website, and you can't go back um, to the beginning, so I used Podbay, or Pod... Pod yeah, One thing you can do bay. with Stitcher, if you go, because you have to go all the way down, but if you go all the way down, you can add uh, like 20 episodes at a time to listen later, oh. and then you'll just have the listen later thing. Well, Podbay has them all in a list where you don't have to scroll at all, and you can just like search for the one and then play it. So Does it have a mobile app, though? Maybe. I'm usually listening at work where I have a computer, so. <laughs> well, they probably you, have a mobile if app. If you have to use a mobile app, and there are probably other mobile apps, but I use Stitcher. You can just go, you can scroll all the way down, which takes some time, but then add like 20 episodes to listen later. If Stitcher and, and Podbay would like to sponsor us, go for it. Also, Squarespace, uh, Casper Mattresses, uh, Nature Box, Anna Kendrick, um, Ryan Gosling. I didn't, I didn't know they were in the uh, business of sponsoring podcasts. Yeah. You'd never know. They're this cool. is true. We will please both. We of already them. asked you Channing Tatum to sponsor they don't us. Even so have to pay us if they just want to like send like blown up headshots. Anna like, Kendrick, if you want to come onto this podcast, please. I don't even care if none of your movies are in the top two fifty. We no, will do we'll all talk of them. About, like pick a movie you love out of the top two fifty or not, whatever, and we'll talk about it. Please. And then sing for us. Please. Just a little bit. Anyways, <laughs> our movie this week is The Maltese Falcon. talking about a lot more money than this. There are more of us to be taken care of now. Well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. You may have the falcon, but we certainly have you. I've taken a lot of riding from you I'm going to take. Get up and shoot it out. Stop it. The police will be here any minute. Now talk. Oh, how can you accuse me of such a terrible... This isn't the time for that schoolgirl act. We're both of us sitting under the gallows. <laughs> seen a Maltese Falcon, but I am here with um, film noir enthusiast, expert, and I wouldn't aficionado. Say I would not say expert by any means. Um, yeah, so uh, I have made references, obviously, in obviously. every podcast to the time in high school when my high school boyfriend and I decided we were going to become film aficionados, and noir film was a big part of that mm-hmm. because it's a huge part of American film history. And um, I would say probably what actually spurred my interest in film now was in my junior year of high school, we covered the Maltese Falcon in American literature, and we watched, like, part of the movie in class, but not the whole thing. Because apparently it's a book? Yeah. Which, like, so, like, someone wrote things, and they bound it together on, like, paper. And, like, I don't know, probably cardboard? With, probably leather? with, like, a blood seal or something. But, yeah, okay. so, um, I, I feel like I was, like... I'm trying to remember how exactly this came about. Oh, I, I do know. Okay, so um, there is this, like, website shuffle thing that I can't remember the name of right now. Sure. But, like, you fill out, like, your interests, and it, They're not going to sponsor the podcast. You didn't even get the name. <laughs> and then you, like, click random or whatever, and it'll just take you to a website based on those interests if you're bored. Oh, so, wow. So, like, the thing everybody tries to, per- per- uh, to perfect, the 
the algorithm that will tell you the things that you will definitely like. Based yeah, on but so one of them like. was a film noir website, and then what was when I like got a list together and started watching this mm-hmm. stuff. So the Maltese Falcon is probably the best known noir film of all time, and considered like the first major film noir. Yeah, um, it is really good. It has um, <laughs> <laughs> just let's, it has Humphrey we'll Bogart. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Goodbye. Roll credits. <laughs> yeah, so um, it has Humphrey Bogart, who, if you don't know, is one of the most prolific actors in American film history. Um, he is a really interesting person. And also has one of the funniest names. Yeah, he does have a very funny name, but he's also just like got some sort of like, he just has like a dashing confidence about him that I just deeply appreciate. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so I guess that's my intro as to why I like to talk about this. Well, and I mean, some of the stuff you'll find in a lot of, well, I did a lot of, the re- of reading running up to this, and it talks about how film noir was born out of the war and everything. Everybody's just like, oh, everything sucks, and it got all dark. And so you got the German expressionism of the, like the 1910s and 20s, and then the horror films like Dracula and the Mummy, all leading up to everything being darker. And so now, now that you have this literally means dark film. I don't know if you knew. Film noir? It means it's dark film. No. Yeah. And so like film noir. This whole noirs time I thought it was about wine. Dark films. <laughs> they are actually enjoyed really well with a nice glass of red wine. Um or a scotch and a cigar as Fine. they would want you to do. I that's guess. okay. So that's actually so a, a fun fact about this movie. Um so the I guess the what happens in the movie is that this woman comes to Sam Spade to ask him to shadow this guy who is supposedly like menacing her sister, and he sent. Well, he doesn't really send his partner. Miles Archer decides to go and immediately gets murdered. <laughs> He's such a goober that he dies. <laughs> That's what happens yeah. when you're a goo. But anyway, so he gets murdered, and... And Sam Spade feels so bad about... Oh, wait, no, he doesn't care. He does care. He didn't like the guy, he didn't, clearly. He didn't not like, not, not like him. He's very quick to be like, yeah, just take his name off the door, whatever. I get the money now. Again, he is a gruff man, but he is a not... A ruffian. He is not a, a bad. He is not a bad man. Kind of a dick. But anyway, so it turns out that this woman, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, is not at all what she said, and she's involved in this whole heist with these men who are trying to track down the Maltese Falcon, which is a MacGuffin of uh, immeasurable value that mm-hmm. they just need to find. Straight and then, up so, MacGuffin. Yep, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> it is the... Uh, the Maltese MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, I was going to make The MacGuffin Maltese Falcon. Multi, the, the MacGuffin Falcon. MacGuffin. I just really like saying MacGuffin in okay. order with different words. MacGuffin. But yeah, so um, it definitely has like a super like smoky, dark, stormy vibe. And like it sucks because like as like they are literally smoking the whole time in this movie. And it was actually, I, I read up that it was actually kind of a prank that they were playing on the studio head because he told the director not to put as much smoking in because he was worried that people would want to like step out and have a cigarette and miss part of the movie. Which, by the way, it doesn't really matter if you miss part of the movie because it doesn't really make sense at no, all. No, it's <laughs> kind of, even if you pay attention, I mean, it doesn't, you could, if you catch everything... It doesn't really matter. I'd say that as someone who missed like two minutes of the movie. And then we're, spent the rest of the time confused. We had to turn on the subtitles at one point. Listen, <laughs> just because we were like, what is going on right now? <laughs> and I've seen the movie like seven times. It's been a while for you to be fair. But it was, yeah, sure. it was my first time. But I mean, it's really all about the characters. Yeah, and the and interesting thing about film noir is like film noir is more about having a good time getting to the end and the reveal as opposed to like actually like coming together and making sense. Yeah. We talked about it briefly. Um, the other uh, noir film that Humphrey Bogart is in, uh, The Big Sleep, is actually so convoluted and confusing that there is no way to find all of the pieces mm-hmm. and make it into something that makes sense. And in fact, uh, when they made that movie, um, the director called the author of the book, Raymond Chandler, to ask who killed a certain character. And Raymond Chandler was just like, horrifically offended and was like it's right there in the text I have heard this recently and then uh, later Raymond Chandler calls back and goes so I read the book again Uh, I forgot to put in who kills him so I don't know you decide (laughs) (laughs) so like film noir is very much about like the general experience of like the ride as opposed to like the actual and that was kind of something that like I feel like like Orson Welles tried to kind of get away from when Mm. he started making his marsh films 
And yeah, and I, I do want to point out this. This actually cracks me up every time I think about it. So in the 1930s and 40s, there were two like hugely popular noir characters. There was Sam Spade of the Maltese Falcon and yeah. others, and then there was Philip Marlowe. Guess who, who played? To this day, are still the most legendary. So guess who played both of them? It can't be the guy we already mentioned. Plays Humphrey one of them. Bogart. Except okay, there is one Philip Marlowe movie where he's played by a different guy, which I've seen but can't really remember because it was a lot. There ago. were two earlier versions of the Maltese Falcon that were both bad. So bad. Yeah, <laughs> and did not involve Humphrey Bogart at all. A lot of my research leading up to this involves the guy who kind of made this movie and thus the film noir. Um, the uh, kind of opened the dam, the gates, whatever, for film noir, is John Huston. I did a lot of research into him because he also pops up in the 250 a number of times, and I was only vaguely familiar with him. So John Huston is, I mean, there are some interesting facts, like he was married five times, divorced four times. That's he was fun. actually, during the filming of this movie, having an affair with Mary Astor, so... Yeah, right. Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got into all this stuff about how, like, oh, his parents got divorced at six and his relationship with his mother leads into that which is could be interesting but is not what we're focusing on here today um uh he started off as a writer for a number of years which is why i think the characters and the dialogue work so well between being based on like kind of a legendary novel Mm -hmm. or well what was going to become a legendary novel and also coming from someone who had been writing scripts back when that not to hate on scripts today but in certain circumstances it's not all about the dialogue and the it's funny that, that you bring stuff. that up actually because in my notes that i took i i specifically wrote i love how in old movies so much of the action like you learn about it through like the way that they talk and like mm. through their conversations yeah. as opposed to things just like blowing up in your face constantly yeah <laughs> it's uh, weird how that works and they're like and there are a lot of longer takes to let it sit and kind of and, and it's just so like quick like bam bam yeah. bam like we're just like they're just like rapid fire like arguing with each other yeah. like anytime that sam spade talks to the cops is a really good example of that where it's they're just really like good. it's so it's, it's just really like a back fun. and forth like flippant like just like you get all of the information about what you need to know and it's like humorous and smart and just like really snappy and, and you also learn the cops have always sucked <laughs> that's <laughs> it's so interesting because like okay i also have this in my notes like i just love they just apparently just completely trust sam spade they let him into the crime but scene. are also super suspicious of, yeah, of him the like whole they, time they let him into the crime scene and then even when they're like accusing him of murder they're like now nah, sam please just be reasonable we and just got to cover our bases you know in wait, the wait. end he gets to keep the maltese falcon which is evidence Let's be real. The the actual plot specifics of the investigation may not totally line up with how they'd work in real life, but Hollywood. So he just, yeah, there. he does just like walk off with it, despite it being like the only evidence that they have. Oh yeah, okay. So that's my other thing about how the cops are bad. So the cops show up at the end, and he's like, "This woman here, she murdered Miles, and then these men murdered Thursby, and yada yada." And just like going, on, and they're just like, "Okay, let's arrest him." Yeah, no, <laughs> like what? You know, Sam. He, you know he. <laughs> He's a rat bastard, but he would not lie about the case. <laughs> he would, yeah, okay, and that's the other ludicrous part, is that Sam Spade spends the entire movie lying. So really, like, he could have set them all up. Who knows? It's true. I, uh, I have a theory. I looked this up because I thought it was, like, a real thing, but I must have just made it up and decided it was real. As are most facts that you gave us. <laughs> well, I thought that... Uh, the implication of the movie is that in the end, he is the one that... Because, pl- okay, so in the end, it turns out that the Maltese Falcon was a fake lead one the whole time. Yeah. And so... The ultimate MacGuffin. Yeah. So it turns out... So Sydney Greenstreet's character and Joel Cairo are like, oh my God, we've wasted almost two decades of our life trying to get this and we killed people and yada yada. And they're like, well, I guess we'll just go find the guy we think did this and we'll get the real one. Goodbye, Sam Spade. We were going to kill you a minute ago, but it's cool now. And so, like, and you know what? You can keep that one thousand dollar bill, which is a thing that exists yeah, in the world, there are and so get many... tossed around like nobody's business. Well, Sydney Greenstreet's character is very rich and very fat, so he just has money to throw around. Apparently. Well, also <laughs> they um, when uh, uh, Femme Fatale herself is paying Sam Spade early in the movie, she's just got a bunch of hundreds. Well, that's nobody's like, got like here. Here are five twenties. Not like, here's a one hundred dollar bill. Well, it's just easier. And here is another one hundred dollar bill. <laughs> I guess it's easier than like having someone. I like, wish I could carry around just like hundred dollar bills, just like yo. Take especially one, because if you think about it, in that time, a hundred dollars was a way yeah. bigger amount of money. That's what than I was thinking too. Now. I'm like two hundred dollars. Like that is a lot of money. She just paid them to like find her sister. <laughs> 
Which yeah. is how they, which to be fair, that's how they knew that she was lying to them was because she paid them so much money. Right yeah. He says, that's, that's so one of my favorite scenes in the movie actually is that first scene where he like really confronts her and tells her he knows that she was lying and she sits which down. Which happens and, many times is always fun. Yeah. But like, so she sits down and she's like crying and doing this interesting like schoolgirl act or whatever. And he goes, ah, now you are dangerous. And that's like, I don't know what it is about that line. I just have always loved that line. It's so good. <laughs> and. I do want to go back, even though it's been a couple minutes, to John Huston again because <laughs> yeah, it turns sorry. out this was his first movie. <laughs> yeah, because Warner Brother, like he finally convinced Warner Brothers to let him do a movie. And they're like, okay, we'll give you this like little budget, this small budget thing. We're not going to promote a whole lot or whatever. It's like this little oddity, which then turned out to be pretty huge for everyone involved. And part of his whole thing was we mentioned how there were two other versions of this that were not good. And the reason he wanted to do this so badly, and he'd actually go on to do a number of other movies based on legend, like these classic books, like Moby Dick and the Red Badge of Courage, was he wanted to do it right. He's like, it's supposed to be dark. He's supposed to be a scoundrel. People die. It's not hijinks. It's like, it's dark. It's serious, man. It is, though, yeah. And part of the thing, he they talk about how, first of all, John Huston led a hell of a life, too. Like, he fought in wars. He was an artist in France. And part of the things that it brings up a lot is how he's a painter and he painted throughout his life. And his big thing is how he frames shots. Like he considered how he frames shots very seriously. Mm-hmm. And he also filmed movies. Actually, we'll wait on that. So that's one thing. And that, that was bias going into it, watching my first time, is I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for all these shots that he considers really good. And they are, like, it is well shot like just the way the camera follows people and the way it's just focused on well, I think them this is we touched on this a little bit last week too it's kind of it's almost it's like kind of a bummer that you we have to experience these like so much later because so many of the things that were like new and exciting and original are just considered like normal things now like and the only way to get any like idea of it is to like just research yeah to really just sink into everything about the period. So well, yeah, and that's how, like, for instance, in Citizen Kane, like, the, the there's this very long shot with, like, a hallway of mirrors, and the camera mm-hmm. can't be seen in the mirrors. And, like, obviously now we wouldn't think anything of that, but at the time that was, like, revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, like, so many things were made by these, like, really, these early, like, film directors. And I think that also a good thing about film noir and, like, this period in general was it was kind of, I think, the first time that movie was really being, movies were really being considered as, like, art mm-hmm. as opposed to just entertainment so because like before this you just had like kind of like musicals or like goofy like charlie like not that charlie chaplin movies aren't like interesting or artistic or anything. well yeah but so what i'm saying is like you have like it becomes like a serious like auteur yeah. thing as opposed to just like well that's a movie this is around the time like orson welles was getting big too Exa- so well was... orson welles getting big uh it's... okay this is around the time that orson welles was working Yes, uh, I would. Yeah, I would not say that during his lifetime yeah. he was ever particularly okay, that's, lauded. That's very fair. That's <laughs> but uh, this is around the time that Orson Welles was working, and in retrospect, was doing movies that are now considered. Yeah, I think another interesting thing to note about the Maltese Falcon is that it's during the the period of like the Hollywood Code or the Code of Hollywood or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting, like how many things they were able to slip past that. Like, there are definitely kissing scenes. There's definitely a lot of references. Like, I feel there's, like, so much innuendo between uh, um, Sam and Bridget. Like, every time they speak. And just, like, the way that he, like, grins at her and stuff. Like, it's, like, I I don't think that the code was a good thing necessarily. But I do kind of like how it made people become, like, really inventive with ways to get around it. Mm -hmm. Like, as I was was doing a little bit of research on it before we came to record – and I, there was a an Alfred Hitch, the, the Alfred Hitchcock movie where he managed he got in a two and a half minute kissing scene by having them break apart every three seconds because you weren't supposed to show kisses lasting longer than three seconds. So every three seconds the actors would stop kissing and then immediately start kissing again until he Let's, was satisfied with the length of the scene. Hitchcock would be the type to just every movie every like maybe not every time he could but in every movie just kind of just flipping off whoever yeah, tried to yeah. censor him at all. <laughs> but yeah, and like that's like, so there's the implication that Joel Cairo is gay, there's the implication that, what's his name, Walter is also gay, and Will, that... Uh, Will, it wasn't Walter. It's not Walter, it's Will... Wilmer. Well, Wilmer. 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 Something. 
The, yeah, up, the def- uptake gun-toting it, guy. It's pretty <laughs> obvious when you watch it now, too, especially gun-toting guy who doesn't have many lines. Yeah, and He's also, just always just full of just... And the fact that Joel Cairo's rich. business card is laced with gardenia perfume. Like, just, like, stuff like that. Like, it's all very tongue-in-cheek. Like, you guys know what's going on, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, let's see what else. But also, like... Also in this movie, Sam Spade is having an affair with his partner's wife, which you wouldn't like. It's very like, and they don't ever say it. Doesn't talk about much, but he kisses her once, and she shows up like three times, and she says she wanted to get back at him once. Yeah, but like you know, (laughs) which is another reason. It's like not necessarily a great guy. Sleeping with his partner's wife. Hold on, where's it at? I have it in my notes. (laughs) And when and uh, when 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 um. It is Wilmer, by the way. It's in my notes. It is Wilmer. All right. (laughs) But also when he talks about his partner's death, he's like, oh, yeah, he he had a $10,000 insurance policy and a wife who didn't love him. (laughs) Okay. Tell us how you... Look, I, again... Shoot it straight, Sam Spade. Yeah. Here's the thing. Sam Spade is... He's kind of a scoundrel, but he is not a bad man. Like, he does eventually end up... Like, he sends Bridget to jail, even though he is ostensibly in love with her because she killed his partner and... It's like a moral th- ob- obligation. He? he does, yeah. No. And well, and like he does, like he takes, he makes sure that Iva's taken care of. I do even like if he that. doesn't like her. Yeah. <laughs> I do he, like that. Even at the end, you still don't totally know everybody's um, what that like what they're trying to do. Yeah. What's true? What's not? Who's trying to pull what over whom? And if they're trying to pull stuff over on mm-hmm. them. Because I feel it's done so well that that it's not like because they're lax that you still don't know those things. It's because they're done so well that even after all of this and puzzling it out and yada yada, yeah, yeah, you don't know who's good. Well, and that's okay. So here's the thing: is that Sam, in the end, to Bridget makes a comment, and we talked about this about how it's good to look crooked but not actually be crooked, basically. So, like, that's how I very much feel about Sam, is that he plays this real good... Like, I feel like everything that happens affects him more than it shows. Yes. And, like... And it it shows that more towards the end of the movie. When it's all, like, starting to hit him that she was just playing him the whole time. A lot of it's in that little... Not not a monologue, but that part of the conversation they're having. Because, like I said, that's... I'm like, oh, that's his ethos, is that... He's not actually crooked. He always does the right thing, but mm-hmm. he's crooked because it's good for business. And it makes you kind of wonder how many other things does he kind of, what kind of facade does he have going on because it's good for business? Well, and that's the whole thing about like how people think he doesn't like his partner. He references this whole like kind of like detective brotherhood sort of thing where like he has to turn her in because otherwise it looks bad for every other private yeah. detective. And like, I, I still think that's more out of um, his dedication to the detective brotherhood than any feelings of mutual ad- uh, any feelings of um, fondness for his fellow detective. Yeah, like I, f- I feel like that is more of a brotherhood thing than right. A but I mean, thing, but Miles but is part of the brotherhood, yeah. so it still involves. He has him. a certain amount of respect for him. Yeah, and I I, I have this in my notes as <laughs> like that he accidentally caught the feelings for Bridget, but still does the right thing in the end and turns her in. Which is, like, obviously, like, you can tell just from, like, the way the scene plays out that it takes a huge emotional toll on him because maybe he was finally, like, I feel like he was finally feeling like there was a woman that was, like, able to keep up with him in terms of, like, this, like, weird facade and, like, smart, Other than snappy, his secretary. Like, exactly. Okay, yeah, his secretary is so good. She's great. She is amazing, like, She's throughout the excellent. whole movie. She doesn't get a lot, like, she doesn't have a lot of scenes, but she kills it in every one their like bro friendship is so good and it makes me so happy and that's one of those interesting things again about like the hollywood code i can't remember who said this but there was a quote about how like during the code it was nice because women could be like anything mm-hmm. like they could be scientists and doctors and whatnot instead of just being like the sex kitten or whatever yes and so like i feel like that really shines through with his secretary and all of that good stuff and like even with Bridget, so my, she's not just a secretary, but she's also a key part of certain things that happen in the plot. Yeah, like he she, really depends on her to like help him run the business. Exactly, not just to light his cigarettes, although he does depend on. Okay, her that to cigarette light lighting cigarettes. machine is so cool, and I really like they. Both it's like a precursor of like the car cigarette lighting thing, except they still had to use flames. Yeah, but it also has like what appears to be a replaceable like metal thing. That, like, lights it, that and then is. you put it back in. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, that's it's what I'm just, talking about. It's, yeah, it's really cool. And, like, I don't smoke anymore, but if I did, that's a thing that I would want. 
Let's hit the antique shops. For real, yeah. Let's go through. That's okay. That's the other thing. There is so much smoking in this movie that, as someone who used to casually smoke, it's like almost frustrating to watch because it's just like. That's just kind of a thing of the era. Ugh. <laughs> just they just make it look so good, and it's not. I know it's not. <laughs> and one of my other favorite facts, because it made me think about movie making as a whole, is one of the. This is again kind of going back, but uh, one of the ways that Houston shoots hit this movie and other movies is he shoots them in very economical fashion, where he's kind of a lot of directors that just shoot everything and they'll put it together in post. But he kind of like makes the movie as he's shooting it, so there's like limited editing. But one of the other key parts to that is not just there's less editing to do, but also he doesn't have all these extraneous scenes, and so they can't studios can't cut as much out of the movie. To make it the way they want because he hasn't done all these extra things, which especially considering what's happened with Fantastic Four <laughs> makes me <laughs> so I just want to let that sit. Ah, Fantastic Four. But which neither makes of us have kinda, seen, by the way. But, <laughs> but we I've, know. We know. We know. We know Josh Trank. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Kate Mara, I love you. <laughs> Someone save Jamie Bell. He like I don't think he gets like he's dressed up as a rock the whole time in this terrible movie. <laughs> Like, even worse off than Michael Chiklis back in the day. And the, not the original Fantastic Four, but the pre- previous Fantastic Fours. The one with Chris Evans? But, yes. Do you oh, want okay. to say something? Okay. <laughs> but it kind of makes me wonder about, uh, back then, could actors, get, or could directors get away with that more by not shooting those extraneous, just like, shots of conversation, or like, whatever extraneous shots they have to do to kind of, if they want to pad the movie length or replace things, and how often, how, how much of a part of that is that now, where the producers kind of make the director shoot all these extra things just well, in case they want? I think it depends because it's like, is it, is it a production thing, or do directors do that themselves to kind of protect themselves in case something doesn't work? It's very fascinating. I'm not sure, but I guess it's there. important to remember that in old Hollywood, like the studios were like the word of law. So I feel like if the studio really wanted to make you shoot another scene, like yeah. you would shoot another scene. Like it's like it does seem like this could be a way around it, though, because then you have to pay for reshoots. Exactly. So I, I feel like you could kind of get away with it, yeah. but I also think that if they like really wanted you to fix something, like, if they oh, yeah. didn't like, they would probably just make you do it. I mean, they still kind of do that. It's not you, they don't you, studios it's, don't own people quite the same way they did okay. back then. Yes, they literally owned people. Yeah, but <laughs> in many ways, they still kind of owe people own people. Like, Jennifer Lawrence wants out of that X-Men franchise, and Josh Trank did not want to go back to shoot those reshoots on Fantastic Four, but these contracts are pretty strong. Yeah. Well, ways. and that's the thing now. Unless is you're more... Robert Downey Jr., but sadly, Who can everybody just in the world... a lead in a movie that isn't his own movie. I am not bitter about how many people are being yeah. added to Captain America 3. Don't worry. I'm not mad that the Winter Soldier storyline probably isn't going to get its due justice, but it's fine. It's fine. That's a whole other conversation. For I'm sure time. we'll get to that when we talk about the Marvel movies that are on the list, <laughs> which there are two of them. So we'll get there. It'll be a great time. To be continued. Oh, just wait till <laughs> just wait till that movie comes out. It's we're just gonna have to de- dedicate an episode here's, to here's it. What's gonna sure. We'll have a bonus episode. Civil War is gonna come out. I will take the microphone and weep into it, and we'll put it online, and that will be the episode. So you see, Kayla's giving a lot. She's really hopeful for this movie, and she's giving it, it the benefit of the doubt. Clearly, as she says, she is going to weep into it. I'm just saying that the events, regardless like of the quality of the movie, the events of the movie will most likely still cause me to weep inconsolably. Because so. it'll be more of an Avengers movie than anything else? No, because I don't want to spoil it in case people haven't read the Civil oh, War well, story. Yeah, line. okay, fair. But like, okay. there's a thing that happens that no, will I thought, I thought my entire you, life. <laughs> okay, I didn't know you meant a specific plot point. <laughs> I thought you were more talking about the uh, the... The behind-the-scenes things, because so many people add it. It's going to be more Avengers movies. Well, yeah, the fact that it's not actually a Captain America movie is super annoying to me, because Captain America is my favorite, and... Are the Russos directing it? We are totally off the rails, but... Wow. I'm actually... Yeah, I'm actually not sure. So we're going to shelve this discussion for another time. Don't worry. It will come back multiple times. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. I love Captain America, and we'll always talk about him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, so let, let me look at my notes here. Um, okay, one thing that I wanted to touch on... Unless, do you have more facts about the director, or... I have facts about Humphrey Bogart that I forgot about. Okay, we'll get to that in a second, because I want to talk I want to talk about this for a second before we get, like, way off topic. Okay, so, in too the movie... Late. Way too late. Bridget O'Shaughnessy is, by all accounts, like, 
a strong, independent, possibly criminal background. There are many shots that imply that she spent time in prison. Even as I continue to forget her name because I'm the worst. Bridget O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy. So, okay, so, like, basically, at the end, it turns out that she was pretty much behind this entire thing, like, fucking around on everyone and making everyone, like, mess stuff up and, like, confusing Cairo and Gutman and all Mm -hmm. of this stuff. But then there's this horrible thing that happens to all the femme fatale characters is that they are always punished in the end. And it's actually a trope, and it's a problem, and... As I've grown and become more of a feminist, it kind of makes it a little bit harder to enjoy noir films because you have all of these really great, strong, awesome female characters who are, like, really different and varied, but in the end, they are always, like, knocked the fuck out. <laughs> like, at the, like, and I was, like, even I hadn't seen the movie in a couple of years, and I forgot, so I had in my notes. I was, like, so excited. I was, like, I love... I can't I, confirm. I enjoy that Bridget is actually strong and scribbled out and isn't punished for it. <laughs> and then later had to go back and woefully scratch it out because she's I... She's very much punished for it. Oh, yes. And I mean, 20 like... 20 years if she's lucky and a maybe good girl. Being, and maybe being hanged. Yeah, so, like, I guess, like, technically, yes, Bridget did murder someone and all of this stuff. But again, like... It kind of sucked anyways, so... Well, it's not even that. It's, like, male characters in old movies, and even now, are so often, like, given the opportunity to be, like, bad but redeemable people. Mm -hmm. And so... But, like, when it's a woman, you immediately have to knock her down. It's, like, kind of like the old, like queer film and literature thing where like you could write a novel or a movie about gay characters but somebody had to die and somebody had to be sad at the end because you have to remind the marginalized people that they can live this life but it will not pay off for them in any way and I really think that that is kind of the message that the femme fatale trope sends is that like yeah you can be a strong and independent woman but look what happens when you do that why don't you just stay at home yeah, and good thing that's... Cha- oh, wait, no, we still have the case where white male antiheroes can do whatever they want while their wives are completely criticized by audiences who don't understand. Oh, the Skylar White effect? Yeah! What? what? You were thinking Breaking Bad too? <laughs> I haven't even no. seen Breaking Bad, and I know about this. Yeah. Like, so it's, and it's not just Breaking Bad. It goes into, like, so, for instance, like, I guess that's a good... So Walter White is, like, a lauded, amazing character that mm-hmm. everybody cares about. Uh, Tony Soprano is yeah. like the uh, modern day HBO like anti-hero dramas that kind of correlate to the 40s film noirs quite a bit in that yeah, sense. Yeah, but then so but then you think about it so last year Gone Girl came out. Gone yes. Girl is a really great example of the feminine anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Like Amy is like a straight up fucking crazy person mm-hmm. and is a bad person. Yes. But she's really interesting and in the end she gets away with it. Like she gets Nick back, she gets her baby, like she gets everything she wanted out of her crazy revenge plot. And the biggest thing that I heard from that movie is that bitch is crazy. I can't believe he stayed with her and yada yada. And I'm like, no, but like if it was the other way around, yeah. you would kind of secretly be rooting for him. Like then, whether you want to admit it or not, you would be. Yes. Also, there are certain ways in the plot that it does make sense that he goes back to her, like the baby and the fact that he's actually kind of into it, even though he doesn't want to totally admit yeah, that he's into it. Yeah, the book it. is more clear on that point. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But yeah, so it's interesting to see how something, like, a lot of Hollywood tropes, especially from, like, old glamorous, like, whatever, Hollywood, like, we think that we're progressive and we think that we've moved beyond them, but we really, really haven't. <laughs> especially, like, again, a good example is the Marvel movies. Look at when we're getting our first female-led Marvel movie. Oh, my God. We have... I checked this today and tweeted about it. Not trying to fuck my Twitter, but we have 18 more superhero movies until we have Black Panther, and we have 20 more superhero movies until we get to Captain Marvel. And still no Black yeah. Widow movie. And that that is... So that is all superhero movies, and that is specifically the Marvel movies I'm calling out. We do get Wonder Woman before that, and we do have The Flash and... and um, Cyborg at some point in those, and we don't have Fantastic Four 2 anymore, I'm assuming. I did see that Netflix is developing a Marvel's Jessica Jones TV yeah, oh, series. That's been, yeah, that's so, been news for a while. Well, I, Come on, dude. They're doing, they're doing, so there's, they all, they're also doing Luke Cage, who is yeah. a black superhero. Okay. So, so, I mean, like, I feel like so much of, like, these studios are really just trying to go for, like, honestly, the token, like, look, guys, we are doing it, so chill the fuck out. You're not going to get a Black Widow movie. <laughs> I will say, respect to DC for casting. I was actually talking to Ava uh, about this earlier today, but respect to DC for casting Jason Momoa's Aquaman. 
Hell and yeah. casting the traditionally white dude in something that actually, if it makes sense, if, like there are ways it makes a lot more sense that it would be someone like Jason Momoa, like not a pasty white dude. <laughs> Jason Momoa just seems like the epitome of like king under the sea to me. Exactly, like, that's what I'm saying. Band. Like get the Cal Drogo hair and beer bag, give him mm-hmm. a trident and like a mermaid tail. Like he's all under the sea. I don't. He's not going to get a mermaid <laughs> tail, but you can. I want like right now. Oh, I want a Jason Momoa God. singing. Songs from The Little Mermaid in costume as Aquaman. <laughs> this is all I want now that I've thought about oh it. Oh my gosh. Okay, so um, do you have anything else before we wrap up on the Maltese Falcon and um, not superhero movies? I do want to point out that the ties that they wear are so tiny. Because <laughs> the pants they wear please, are so high. Please just look up a picture of Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade and enjoy his tiny, tiny tie. It is a tiny tie. <laughs> and one of the... One of the most fun stories out of this is, so part of the big thing is how many careers this launched out of this movie. John Houston, Humphrey Bogart, and um, Sidney Greenstreet. Yeah. Yes. Well, Sidney Greenstreet was a prolific like stage actor before this. Yeah, but this, like, kind of, her, her movie career kind of was his, really helped by this, career, I feel. Yes. Yeah. But definitely the first two. Yeah. Yeah. But, so one of the big thing is a couple people passed on the role of Sam Spade, mm-hmm. including George Raft. And that, this was actually one of three instances, instances when Humphrey Bogart got a big role that George Schraff passed on. <laughs> um, uh, also, uh, Into the Night. I can't read my writing. But, uh, and uh, so a couple other movies. Yeah. I can't read my scribbles. I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> well, I'll write more clearly in the future. But yeah, this is, the th- one, this is one of three major roles that George Schraff passed on that Humphrey Bogart got. And so they made jokes for a couple of years about uh, the L.A. Herald said, uh, as to Humphrey Bogart, he says he won't take another role until Raph Pat turns it down. <laughs> to which George Raph said, there but for the grace of me, go I. <laughs> and there were amazing. a couple more jokes that Humphrey Bogart made that basically like, yeah, I really hope uh, that George Raph passes on that role because I would love to play that character. I love Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I just do. <laughs> I, 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 is he an uncomplicated old Hollywood fave? Or is um, it a less complicated than less, some of the other terrible people? He is less complicated. I don't think he was like perfect. He's not... Okay, so... Um, I kind of just assume everyone back then was kind of racist. Okay, Clark Gable was least. actually perfect. Okay. As was... Or no, no, I'm sorry. Not Clark Gable. I totally fucked up. I was going to say, I thought no, he was... Gregory Peck. I meant Gregory Peck. Um, okay. I was going <laughs> to say, like, I thought Clark Gable was nope. not. No. Clark yeah. Gable did, however... I want to say... Wasn't Clark, was Grace Kelly the worst? Probably. Okay. Clark Gable did, however, in Gone to the Wind, refuse to go to the premiere until they let his black co-star go because he thought it was horrible that she wasn't invited. So there is that. But Gregory Peck was actually perfect and was, like, a huge early proponent of gay rights. And obviously he was Atticus Finch. So, like, there's that. But, yeah. Before Ghost Out of Watchmen changed everything. We don't talk about that. It's not oh, real. okay. Strike I'm sorry. Podcast. I'm sorry. Did you mean um, exploitation oh, no. of Alzheimer's old person? Yeah not a real thing <laughs> yes that so humphrey bogart is like probably not like an amazing person but he was decent enough that i don't have to like feel conflicted about appreciating him and loving him which happens so much with old hollywood yeah but yeah so speaking of old hollywood um if we want to do our fun trivia fact yeah maybe. let's move on to fun trivia all right uh so when Dashiell Hammett was writing the novel the maltese falcon he describes wilmer the uptight clearly closeted gunman as a catamite, which means he is a young man in a sexual relationship with an older man. Uh, the publisher and the film censors obviously were like, ah, oh, dude, no. <laughs> so he uh, replaces it with this word gun cell, which is like a Yiddish uh, slang term that also means exactly the same thing, but they didn't know that. Nobody realized it. So um, a bunch of people thought that gun cell just meant like the Gunzel or Gunzel or however they pronounce it was just like the guy that carries the gun and menaces people. Yeah, so um, it was used in many subsequent novels and film noir, and it's so basically you just have all these guys running around going that gay guy there, <laughs> like that kind of thing. When you think it's like this tough gun term, and it's just like no, it means he's gay. And it was all there under the surface, anyways. <laughs> And um, going into the stats of the week, related to how we're talking about old Hollywood code and uh, female roles and stuff, um, just looking at, we talked about in our first episode about how few female directors there are, uh, almost none, in the top 250. 
just in terms of we tracked, we are tracking the lead actor, the first and second build people in every role for or in every movie for the top 250. And through the first 150, the lead build actor, as per IMDb.com, who can also sponsor us. Uh, they really should. <laughs> 138 of the first 150 films have males as the first as the primary lead. And only 12 of them are women. You can't see the face I'm making, but I'm pretty sure you can imagine it. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, not ideal. That turns out to, oh, is that 92%? Uh, yes, it is. 92%. All right. that's a, And then it gets not bad. I wouldn't say better, but less bad with the uh, second build character. That is 99 are men and 51 are women. So of the 300 potential top one or two billings in the, the the first 150 of the IMDb 250. Uh, I lost it. Where'd it go? Uh, 79% of those billings, of those roles, are men, and only 21% are women. I don't even want to get into like the difference in like race and stuff, because I'm sure it's we're, equally as depressing. We're going to get into it. That's just going to take a little more time to put together. <laughs> but that, and, the, and the thing is, it's not just like old movies. It's actually a lot of the older movies are, they have a male lead, but and then a female. Well, that's like where you harken back to like the Bogart and the Call thing. Too. Yeah, a lot of Charlie Chaplin movies are Chaplin and a woman. But like a lot, it, I will get there eventually in tracking the decades per the, for these gender mm-hmm. things. And it kind of, it, it 250, while a lot of movies is still a relatively small sample size of the culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Or of all movies, but it's also but like it's, the popular voted ones. So yeah, it's like the ones so the, that people our are most popular movies, yeah. as we've talked about before, and we'll continue to talk about, just dudes, such dudes. It's it's just something we and the rate like the race um, quotient is going to be Sexuality, even worse. Yeah, I just I don't I don't even want to know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I can go know. ahead and tell you now. Other than Lana Wachowski, I, there I can almost definitely know trans. Actors, uh, almost definitely, yeah. almost definitely. <laughs> it's like Lana Wachowski, and that's probably it. Um, I hope that we are proven wrong next. I week. would love to be proven wrong. <laughs> we'll I don't know if it'll out. happen next week. I'm still yeah. in the progress of building all this up, but I would love to be proven wrong. Just don't think it's gonna happen. But yeah, so that's our depressing fact of the week. <laughs> I was like, fun trivia, sober reality. Yeah. Well, let's finish up with a, rec- a related wreck this week. So. Kayla, what do you want to recommend in the wake of talking about the Maltese Falcon? Okay, so my I have two recommendations. Uh, I want you to check out The Big Sleep, which we talked about briefly. Completely nonsensical, and you'll be confused the whole time, but you will enjoy being confused the whole time. And then the other movie that I want to recommend is actually, it's not really a noir movie, but it's an Italian film called La Ventura, which kind of has like a mystery in it. But the, the basic premise of the plot is that these people go on vacation and one of the women goes missing. And, like, that's supposedly what the movie is about. But then, like, halfway through the movie, everybody just forgets about that. <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting. And if you don't mind subtitles, you should definitely check it out because it's really good. And for my recommendation, we're going from film noir to neo-noir because I do not have the vast knowledge of old Hollywood and more classic films that Kayla has. So we're going to 2005 when now newly minted Star Wars director Ryan Johnson put out a little film called Brick. Uh, it's, I have not, I mean, it's been a little bit since I've it's watched it, but phenomenal. I do want to read it. It's yeah. a <laughs> wonderful movie. Ryan Johnson is one of the most gifted and one of the most gifted directors we have right now who has one of the most singular voices, like on par with like how you know an Edgar Wright movie. You know a Ryan Johnson movie when you see it. You I also, love... Yeah, you may also recognize this name as director of my favorite movie ever, The Brothers Bloom, that we talked about in episode one. Yes, and so. also <laughs> Looper, which got a little more conflict, like a little more divisive, but I think is a really That's a good, good movie, movie. Yeah. But yeah, Brick, it is like... Neo noir. It is noir in a modern high school. It is just so much fun and an early JG Elroy, Josko and Levitt. He's he's a little moppet in it, and it's really fun. Also starring Emily Duravin from Lost, briefly. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh man, wonder what she's been up to. It reminds me, I just saw. A, I know we gotta wrap it up, but I just watched. I was making a hand signal so they wouldn't know. Uh, I saw part of. I, I'm, we call out everything we do on this podcast, <laughs> but I just watched. I started watching Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, in which 
uh, Josh Holloway, Sawyer from Lost, mm-hmm. has like five minutes where he gets a shot, and I'm like, man, I wish he got more high profile to work to do than that terrible, I think, CBS show, Intelligence. But Someday. we're not here to talk about intelligence. <laughs> Just go watch a brick. You, if you haven't seen it, you will not regret it. You will be, you will cherish this addition to your life. But we do have to go. Thank you for listening this week. We will. We do not have our movie for next week picked out yet. We have a couple things in mind. It's going to be a surprise. We're going to tease it. In the meantime, you can follow us at, on Twitter at ltrfipod. You can e- email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com and you can find us on Tumblr with all the other information all of our various posts and bios and all that at lettherightfilmsin.tumblr.com Thank you so much for listening and have a great week till we see you again. I hate you.